You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good afternoon. How we doing, my peoples? Yeah, it's totally awesome to see you this afternoon. And if you're a guest and perhaps you came with a friend or family member or whatever, um, we have been going through this Bible study series called uh, Imagine Heaven. And we've been looking at those near-death experiences, you know, where someone like goes through a tunnel, sees a light, all that kind of deal. And we've been, been comparing those with what the Bible teaches about the afterlife so we can become more heavenly-minded. In fact, we want to be so heavenly-minded that we're more earthly good. We're more good to humanity to serve others and help others experience God. Now, this week is the last week in our series, and a couple of things I'm talking about today is going to be judgment and rewards. Now, uh, I like talking about the rewards part of things, right, because that's the good part. But before we get rewards, people have to go through judgment, and that's the part that's a little harder to talk about. You know, that's why health clubs always market themselves as no judgment zones, right, because we don't like judgment at all. Uh, That's partly why City Church is a place that a lot of people would call a no judgment zone because we welcome everyone here to come and worship and experience God here in the church. But another reason that we're a no judgment zone is really because we all recognize that the Bible teaches that judgment begins with the house of God. That is, we're going to be judged, so we don't want to point the finger at others because we know that it's coming our way as well. And you know the person that's going to receive the most judgment in this room today? That would be me. The Bible teaches that uh, the teachers incur a stricter judgment. So that's why I want to be very careful about the things that I teach and my heart and attitude as I communicate the truths of God's Word. Now, even if you're a person who doesn't believe in God, you don't believe the Bible and all that kind of stuff, um, you want judgment to come. And I'm going to explain why. You intuitively know that judgment is needed in the world. You go to work sometimes, and you see people like that knucklehead that got the promotion that really didn't deserve the promotion, but he was like homies with the boss or whatever, you know? So he got the promotion instead of the person that really deserved it. We see it in our court system where people get off who should not have gotten off. Other people uh, are convicted and they were innocent and they didn't deserve the punishment that they received. We want justice. We don't want children over in Syria in Aleppo to be bombed, that is injustice. And we all intuitively want justice to happen on the earth. And it is coming. It's just as Johnny Cash sang that there's a man going around taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There's a golden ladder reaching down. And what's the rest of it? When the man comes around. And the man comes around as a picture of God coming in justice. He will come someday. He will open up a can of justice on the whole earth in a sense that we've never even experienced in our lifetimes. Now, as we've looked at these near-death experiences, these people regularly had these experiences of what's called a life review, where their whole life flashes before them. And I wanted to uh, uh, look at, and one of the things I was fascinated by were the researchers that looked at non-Western people's near-death experiences. That is, people that are not from the United States, but people from Eastern parts of the world that don't have the same worldview that many have here. And when this guy, his name is Steve Miller, could have been in a band, but he studied non-Western 
<laughs> like three people got that. <laughs> Google it. But non-Christian uh, near-death experiencers said, he, he said, in my non-Western sample, I saw no significant difference in life reviews compared to the Western life reviews. Different people have described it differently as one described it, it was like a movie of his life. Another one described it as like uh, this panoramic, panoramic review of his life. Another one saw it as like a PowerPoint presentation of everything that he had ever done. And according to Miller, they were shocked to experience not only a living three-dimensional observation of their whole lives, but their secrets and thoughts and motives were revealed as well. Researchers Osis and Haroldson reported that Hindu Indians never experienced karma. Rather, they experienced a white-robed man with a book of accounts. And they report that multiple Indians mentioned this man in white, some called him God, along with books of account. And that's, uh, that's exactly what we read about last week and studied last Sunday. But Paul, the apostle, wrote to a group of people who were non-Westerners. In fact, in, in case you didn't know this, Christianity is actually an Eastern spirituality that came to the West. It is not a Western kind of spirituality. And Paul, when he was speaking to a group of Eastern people, said in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Look at verse 13. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if the person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And so we're going to drill down on each one of these verses, and we're going to take this text, these four or five verses, and we're going to go verse by verse and study it today. But one of the challenges that I have is I have to take a group of verses like this and condense it to one idea that we can remember, because we know we're all getting bombarded with messages throughout the week via the internet, billboards, and all of that. And we want to remember one declaration today, and it's simply this. In all of my relationships and all of my verse, uh, uh, all of my uh, relationships and, and, and interactions with other people, I will add value that will never vanish. I will, that is what sums up this text, I will add value that will never vanish. And I want you to remember this, and I want to burn this onto your brain so much so that I'm going to ask you to do one of those cheesy things where I make you say stuff out loud and all that. But the reason I do that is I hope that we will remember these ideas. And so here's the way that this is going to go down. Um, I'm going to divide up the theater in half. I'm also dividing up the video cafe in half, okay? So those of you in the video cafe, you think you're hiding over there. We see you. We know that you're there. There is a soundproof wall between us, but we know that you're over there. And everybody in the middle here, in the theater and in the video cafe, and to my left, when I point to you, I want you to say the words, add value, okay? So get ready, man. Get your gun loaded because you're about to say it. All right, those of you in the middle here and to my right, your left, when I point to you, you guys are going to say, never vanish. Are we ready to throw down on this one? Okay. In all of our relationships and interactions, we will make this declaration. I will. That will. That was pretty solid today. 
And Video Cafe, we're going to do it again for you because I just have a feeling, I don't know this for sure, but I have a feeling you didn't play along with us, okay? And so uh, here in the theater, we're going to set the example for you. Here we go. Ready? I will. That will. Very good. And throughout the talk, uh, I may do that again. So uh, be prepared for that. Now, where was I? I got so excited about that. In the focus text today, um, Paul teaches that value comes in a variety of different ways. We can add value into people's lives in a variety of ways. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.12, the first verse there. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. And he mentions here gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. And I think those are symbolic of the different ways that we can add value into the lives of people. And so I want to show you like four different ways from the Scriptures that we add value to others. And the first one is simply this. We can build value into others through our words, through our words. Now, how many of you know that we can also knock people down with our words? And Jesus says that we'll be held accountable for that. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Verse 36, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle, what? Word. Word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And that scares me to death sometimes because I think about some of the words that I've spoken outside of church. And I'm telling you, if you guys heard some of the things that have come out of this mouth outside of church, you would not sit there and listen to me. But don't be too judgmental. Because if I heard some of the things that you've said, I wouldn't talk to you anyway. So it wouldn't matter. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> we will be judged by those things that we say. And how many of you can think of someone that spoke something on you, that landed on you, and was destructive in your life? Some of you have been called ugly. And you let that word ugly land on you and define your life. I remember when I was younger, someone that was influential in my life said, you're stupid. And I let stupid land on me. Um, and others have heard, you whore. Others you've heard, you're just a rebel who's worthless. Or you're trash. I've had one friend here in our church whose dad told her, you're the devil's child. And that's not the way we speak to each other, is it? And you know, um, we're going to, create an environment here in our church where we speak to each other with truthful words, not flattery, not buttering people up, but we take the scriptures and we learn what's truthful about each other and we speak the truth over each other. And so here's what I want you to do right now, whether you're here in the theater or next door in the cafe, I want you to turn to someone next to you and I want you to tell them you're a masterpiece. Ready? Go. By the way, those of you that are single, I'm doing my part here, all right? So you just got to get on board with this. Some of you are married. Things are going to go well for you later on today, okay? So uh, anyways, uh, you are a masterpiece. That is the truth. But look at the second way we could build value into people is through prayer, through prayer. Look at, uh, and by the way, we're going to connect here in a lot of these, the reward that comes with building value into people. So look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus says, but when you pray... 
Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will do what? Reward you for your prayers. And if you're new here, one of the things you've got to understand about this place is that the reason that this church owns this theater right now is because of prayer. A couple of years ago, a group of people in this church just circled around, walked around this church or this uh, theater praying that God would help us to get it. And you know, in a hot downtown real estate market where people are buying up these properties and converting them into apartments and all kind of stuff, this property never even went on the market. And we got this place for $100,000 below its appraised value because of the power of prayer. Those prayers were worth at least 100 grand, right? Yeah. Amen. Also, last Sunday, we experienced the presence of God here. It was very tangible, and many believed in Christ, and many who are going to be baptized today um, uh, throughout all of the services that we've had today, many believed last week. Well, because I was standing up here, people were nice to me and came up and said nice things about the service, but I'll tell you, it wasn't because of me. It was because of 35 people that I know that came into this theater, and they walked up and down the aisles, and they touched every seat, and they walked around the theater and in the video cafe and touched every seat in there and they prayed that God would move and God will reward them for the many people that are coming to faith in Christ and are baptized because of their prayers being answered because God's hearing those prayers. There's power in our prayer. But let me show you another way that we build value into others and it's through our giving. Look at Matthew chapter 6 verse 4. Jesus says, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will do what? Reward you, right? So some of you see people around you in need, and you meet it. You give to them. You provide them with a bag of groceries when your neighbors are struggling. You see someone having car trouble, and you know how to fix it, and you fix it for them. You give of your time. You give of your energy. Many of you are giving here at the church. You're giving a first fruit tithe, which means tent to the storehouse. And I'm telling you, your gifts are making a difference here at the church. Some of you are ninja givers because you're just like Jesus says. You don't want anybody to see you, man. You take that envelope and you're like, Poof. you disappear. Poof. Okay. You're like a ninja when you give. You go to that kiosk, and you're like, Poof. you give like that and you're out of there. And you know what's happening as a result of your giving. Let me just tell you what's happened in the past week that I'm aware of. Okay. I found out about four people in our church. And if I find out about four, that means that there are probably many more that I just don't hear about and don't know. Four people that chose at this church not to take their own lives, not to commit, commit suicide because of the messages and the things that you guys have been supporting because you guys are keeping the lights on here through your generosity. And there have been like, what, 40 or so people that were signed up for baptism at church throughout all the four services today. And the reason for that is because you guys are ninja givers in the way that you're secretly giving these gifts that help your church to pull these types of things off. But let me show you another way that we build value, and that is by inviting the poor. Inviting the poor. Luke 14, 12. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. God will do what? reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And in recent days, I was sitting down having a conversation with a very successful friend of mine that goes to our church here. And we were talking about the different churches that he's experienced. And he said, you know, a lot of churches, they're kind of like country clubs, you know, 
and some of you are so new to church, you don't understand how it works in a lot of other churches, but there are these churches where people go really to just business network and to make appearances, and they want to hobnob with their well-off successful friends, you know, so that they can do some business networking, and that's not really the way it works here. Well, my very successful friend said, Doug, I can go to a country club anytime I want to, but the reason I go to City Church is because I want to experience something that's real. This is, got, this is a guy that's got people after his money all day long, but he wants to come here, and what he understands is that even though he's done well for himself, he understands he's equal with others who don't have as much. And when we come here, whether you're poor or you're in the upper or middle class, we're all at the same table, equal together. And sometimes people ask me, well, Pastor Doug, how do you do that ministry to the poor for the poor down there? And I say, I don't do ministry for the poor. I do ministry with the poor because we're all equal together, serving together in community with each other at the table of God. And so through my words, my prayers, through your words, prayers, giving, and attitude towards the poor, we can fulfill that declaration. This is a hint for you, right? So you know what's coming? And so we'll fulfill that declaration. I will. You've had plenty of sleep, 1.30. Let's try this again. I will. That will. See, the never vanish people, they're like, <laughs> we're not going to be like them. <laughs> Let's do it one more time just for fun, all right? I will. That will. Awesome. That's pretty cool. So um, the Bible talks about this thing called the Bema Seat, and I'm going to explain it here in just a minute. But the, at the Bema Seat, what's going to be revealed is the quality of our work, the true value of the religious deeds that we have done. I want to show it to you in 1 Corinthians 3. Look at verse 13. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value if the work survives, that builder will receive what? A reward. A reward. Now, Bema's seat. What that is, it's referring to the judge's seat at the ancient games. During the Bible days, they had games much like our Olympics, and the people who ran a good race would win an award. Sometimes it was like a crown or a wreath around their head, very similar to the medals as a reward that people receive today. You remember the recent Olympics, and uh, Bolt won a lot of races, and he was so excited by receiving his award that he jumped up and down on the platform, and that's going to be some of you in the kingdom when you receive the rewards that God is going to give you for those acts of kindness and the, even the small things that you've done where your heart and motive was pure. And the reason that we give out awards here on earth is because we know that it's almost meaningless to do the games unless someone receives a reward, right? In San Antonio, we know this very well. We know that our basketball team is being judged every year. And we know that five times something pretty awesome has happened, has it not? If you're not from San Antonio, you move here, you come to church here, you, you're going to hear this kind of thing all the time, okay? So just get used to it. We love our Spurs here in San Antonio. But what's going to happen in the kingdom is that you guys are going to receive these championship rewards for the good things that you've done 
uh, with a pure heart. Now, the value of your work is determined by the purity of your motives. Let me repeat that. The value of your work is determined by the purity of your motives. But if you're like me, you wonder, well, how do I rightly evaluate my own motives on the inside? When I try and do something nice for someone, uh, I think to myself, man, what, was I doing that just to look good in front of others? Or was I doing that uh, out of a pure heart that just wants to serve and love other people? And here's the way that you can judge rightly your own motivation. The more your good deed was done in secret, the more pure the motive. Did you catch that? The, the more secretive your work was, the greater the purity of the work. Have you ever known that person, every time they do anything good, they're always like getting the selfie, right? And they, they put the, the phone up here so their chin doesn't look fat, right? And they get that selfie right there and they show everybody what they did. And the, look, the more public your good deed is, the more it degrades the reward that God wanted to give you. See, you'll get a reward. It'll be the reward of people uh, on your social media thinking you're a good person. But that's not necessarily the reward that we want, is it? We want the reward that comes from God that will never vanish, that will never fade away. So, um, when you add value to people's lives in secret, you know that's the ones where you receive the reward. And so when you do good things in secret, you're fulfilling the declaration again. You're saying, I will that will It's pretty solid. All right. So John, in the book of Revelation, says that there's a reward that God will give people who are able to rightly discern true and false teaching. Because just like today, there are teachers that say, um, you need to go for the deeper truths. That's what they said in John's day, that we want people to receive these deeper truths, right? And what they're assuming is that you people who believe the Bible and just go by its teachings, you don't really understand the deeper truths that are available to you. Really, they're just deeper lies. And what John shows us in Revelation is that you can get a reward of governing authority if you're able to rightly discern truth. Look at Revelation 2.26. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. So there'll be people that are given the authority to govern over geographic regions of our world. And it won't necessarily be the people who are on the stages of churches or on the covers of books or uh, CD covers or MP3s or online on websites, but it'll, it'll be the people sometimes that serve God in obscure parts of the world, serving the poor and the hurting and the oppressed. It'll be the people that are serving homeless families down the street at Strong Foundation. It'll be the people that are leading step study groups in recovery right here next door for our church during the week. And they're teaching people truth about their lives and how to overcome the false lies, the untruths that have been fed to us by the world. Now, the other couple of 
rewards I want to show you from Revelation come in Revelation 2.17. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who's victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one, except the one that receives it. And so there's the hidden manna, first of all. Let me tell you about hidden manna. It is like comfort food to the weary soul, to the one that is tired from the trials and hurt and pain of this world. So have you ever gone to your grandmother's house and she makes up some really good fidel and she makes those handmade tortillas? When you're eating that fidel, life is all good, isn't it? There's not a worry. I remember going to my mama's house and she'd make the big stack of pancakes. That was like the hidden manna, I'm telling you. She'd make a big stack of pancakes and we would eat that bacon and eggs. And when I'm eating my mama's pancakes, it doesn't matter what I was dealing with. I feel at peace. I feel comfort. And I'm at home. What I wouldn't give now to have her back here in this reality to make me some more of those pancakes. But someday... Perhaps I'll get there and get the hidden manna, as will you, the comfort food that will comfort you more than any other meal on this earth. But then John also talks about that white stone. Now, what's a white stone, ladies? You know exactly what it is. It'd be the diamonds, right? Because the ladies love the diamonds. And these diamonds will be significant, not just because they're more beautiful gemstones than anything that you've experienced here on the earth. But they'll be significant because the name that's engraved on the bottom of the stone. Some of you have received those words on you that were to destroy you from people, some of them that loved you that made a mistake and others who didn't care anything about you. But what's going to be written on the stone is your true name that only you and God will know. So if someone told you you're trash, on your white stone, it's going to say treasure because that's what you are. If your stone said rebel, or if you're, someone in this life told, called you a rebel, your stone's going to say redeemed. If someone called you stupid, your stone's going to say significant. If someone called you a whore, your stone's going to say holy daughter of the king. If someone called you devil's child, your stone will say child of the Most High God. Is anybody besides me on board with getting the name that's on that stone? Yeah. So last week, we saw the near-death experience of Howard Storm, who had been a college professor, atheist, who came to faith in Christ after his near-death experience. And uh, he explains in his story, his life review, and I thought he made some significant observations about his life review, and I wanted to show you the video of his testimonial. Go ahead and take a look. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life, and Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people, of course, initially starting out with my mother and father. And, my sisters and then, you know, school and friends and 
Um, so you just you saw it, or you we saw it, we felt it, it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, "You're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for to get this award, Kentucky Artist of the Year." big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life that where I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both the plain and skin. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels' literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met, who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. What were you seeing played out? I saw scenes where um, my sister was in bed crying and I got up in the middle of the night and went in and put my arms around her and hugged her. And Jesus and the angels were so filled with joy that I had been willing to do that, to try and um, you know, help her a little Comfort bit her. in her grief. But those were rare, the, uh, the scenes of my indifference. Just seeing, seeing people as objects in order to maneuver around through or you know, to shift to further my, my goals and my ambitions. You know, part of his story that made an impact on me is that some of the things that he thought were so significant in this life actually are going to vanish in the next. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 3.15, where Paul says, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. You know, I'd often heard that there's no regret in heaven, and there may not be, but there's certainly going to be regret at the judgment when all of our works are evaluated, and some people will escape like through a wall of flames. And there will be people who will suffer great loss at that judgment. And they'll say, why didn't I invest more time and energy and effort on things that mattered? Why did I spend so much time just trying to promote myself? 
and look out for number one when the things that mattered the most are those small exchanges of love and charity, kindness and grace. You know, you can actually get in after you've lost rewards by believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. There'll be a lot of people that will get in that won't have any rewards in heaven. But all of us have to get in the same way. What you have to realize is, is that doing good things that get you rewards doesn't earn you into heaven and the kingdom of God. I was helped to think about this by a deceased author named R.G. Lee. He was also a pastor. And he wrote a book, uh, a book, and it had a story in it about these pioneers that were crossing the United States. They were going from the East Coast to the West Coast. They were crossing the Plains states. And those of you that have been out in the Plains know that there are these huge fields, these uh, huge areas that are just really flat. And sometimes lightning strikes, and it starts a grass fire, which starts like a prairie fire that rolls across the plains. And this group of pioneers was going across in their covered wagons, and one of these plains fires had hit, and it was coming their way, and there's no way they could outrun it. And the leader of the group had to make a quick decision. And what he decided to do is stop the wagons. He lit the ground on fire behind them and did a controlled burn. And after that ground was burned, he had everyone in the wagons move over onto that black charred ground. And as the flames came their way and came closer and closer, they could feel the heat on their skin and on their faces. And the flames came close. And as one kid would ask his dad, Dad, are we going to be burned up? And the dad would say, No, son, because we're standing on the ground that's already been burned. And that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross, is that he took the punishment that you and I deserved and he was burned on our behalf. And he created ground on which we could step so that the fires of God's judgment would pass us by. And God has been working in some of your lives by his divine providence. He drew you to this place by his spirit. And something's taking place in your heart right now that it's beyond just the emotions of gathering at a religious type of an event. God, by His Spirit, is doing something in some of your hearts right now that's beyond just your own thoughts and intellect, but He's drawing you into love relationship with Himself, and in your heart, you know it to be true. And so I want to encourage you to begin a relationship with Him today. It's like taking a step, a step from the ground where you're at onto the charred ground of the cross. So with that in mind, let's bow for prayer. And as we bow, perhaps you want to pray to God, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for someone the first time in your life. I want you to pray to him and remember that this prayer that I'm going to lead you through is not magical, but the attitude of your heart is what's important right now. So just pray to him, God, I know I've sinned, but right now I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And God, right now, the best I know how, I choose to step on to the charred ground, believing that Jesus died for me. 
And God, I welcome you into my life to guide me and help me now for the rest of my life. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. You know, if you just now prayed to begin a relationship with Christ, the first step of obedience is baptism. And even if you're not signed up and registered to be baptized today, if you'd like to, you can be baptized. In fact, you don't even have to have baptism clothes. You don't have to get baptized in your clothes and get your clothes wet. We've got clothes back there in the lobby for you that you can put on to be baptized here today if you'd like to do so. So if you'd like, just get up, go to the lobby. There's someone in the video cafe. You're thinking, oh, I'm just sitting over in the video cafe. I don't... No, you can be baptized today too if you'd like. All you have to do is walk out that door and to this door of the theater and walk in and get registered to be baptized. If you're already registered and signed up, I want you to come down here to my right, your left, and get lined up now as we all stand together. And let's stand up together and sing and worship God as we celebrate this beautiful multi-sensory experience the Bible calls baptism. So, Lord, we're so grateful for what we've witnessed in all four of the services today is many people that you've moved and worked in and drawn to yourself and shown us a picture of them having died with Christ, risen by resurrection power to live a whole different kind of life. And we're just very humbled all weekend that you would like allow common folk like us to look upon such beauty of the new creation of the kingdom of God right before our eyes as people's lives are being transformed. And we're just so grateful you would allow us to see these things. We love you and thank you for it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.